It's time to sit back, relax, and listen to Conversations with Joan. Conversations with Joan will inspire, motivate, and empower you. Live your best life now. Listen, learn, think, and decide. And now, here's your host, Joan Herman. Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life's Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. Conversations with Joan focuses on topics that are important to your life, from health and wellness to professional development to personal well-being. Change makers join me to share their insights, tips, and strategies so you can thrive and live your best life now. Thank you for taking time for yourself, and thank you for letting us be a part of your life. Now, let's start talking. Today's guest, Rachira Gupta, is working to create a world where no child is bought or sold. Rachira is a writer, feminist campaigner, professor at New York University, and founder of the anti-sex trafficking organization, Apne App Women Worldwide. She won the Clinton Global Citizen Award and an Emmy for Outstanding Investigative Reporting. She's helped more than 20,000 girls and women in India exit prostitution systems. Rashira's debut novel is I Kick and I Fly. Welcome, Rashira. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Rashira, for years, you've been aiding young women who are trafficked or under the threat of being trafficked. How did you get started doing this type of work? I used to be a journalist, and I was walking through the hills of Nepal when I came across rows of villages with missing girls. And I asked the men who were sitting around drinking tea and playing cards where the girls were, and they said they all are in Bombay. Now, Bombay was 1,400 kilometers away. And these villages were really remote up in the Himalayas. So I decided to follow the trail. And I ended up in the brothels of Bombay, where little girls were locked up in tiny rooms for years, exploited by multiple men. And I was really angry and upset and determined to do something about it. I decided to make a documentary called The Selling of Innocence. It's on my website, ruchiyagupta.com. But I also, you know, thought I'll tell the story to the world and that will bring about change. Um, and I did win an Emmy for Outstanding Investigative Journalism for the documentary. But when I was in New York and looking at all the bright lights, I thought, you know, I don't want to make the use the documentary or the Emmy to build a career in journalism. I want to use the documentary to make a difference in the world. So I took my Emmy and went to the UN and I went to the US Congress and I asked them, I said, can I show my documentary here to show you what human trafficking looks like? And luckily for me, they said yes. And I advocated for new laws on trafficking because nothing existed at that time. And we got the Trafficking Victim Protection Act, which is now the US federal law on trafficking. And we got the UN protocol to end trafficking in persons, especially women and children, which uh, decriminalized the women and girls who were there because of lack of choices and punished the traffickers. Also, I felt that I needed to go to the women who had told their stories so bravely in my documentary. So I went back to India and started an NGO with them called Apne Aap, which means self-action in Hindi. And the women had just four dreams. You know, they said they wanted a job in an office for themselves, but mostly they said they wanted education for their children so they would have a different future from themselves, uh, a room of their own and punishment of the perpetrators. Mm-hmm. 
So that's what Apne Aap does. That's our business plan. We educate the children of prostituted women, and through education, we make sure they don't they are safe from prostitution because once they are educated with schools and with college degrees, they can get jobs and they help their mothers get out. And now we have educated thousands of girls. For so many of us, we hear the word human trafficking and and we don't really understand what it is and and what it entails. So, can you describe for our listeners what human trafficking is and what it looks like? Human trafficking is really the sale purchase harboring or receipt of a person who is vulnerable which means they have less choices than we can imagine almost no choices uh, through the use of fraud force coercion sometimes even abuse of a position of vulnerability saying i won't give you food or i'll beat you up because you're in my house and it is always always for the purpose of exploitation mm-hmm. So exploitation can of course mean child labor it can mean sexual exploitation it can mean the organ trade child soldiers um bonded labor domestic servitude and uh, you know so human trafficking is all of this and it's very different from migration and smuggling because migration is not for the purpose of exploitation it can end up as exploitation same thing with smuggling smuggling is just like some people taking advantage of people who want to cross a country and taking money from them to do it mm-hmm. human trafficking is for the purpose of exploitation and you know funnily enough it may or may not have movement so you know you could be trafficked on the very bed you are born which is what i explain in my book i kick and i fly that uh, you know there are rooms in the back of the mud huts which are used as places of exploitation and the mud huts are where the kids are living in with their parents how prevalent is this problem today united nations says it's the second largest organized crime in the world and uh, you know the department for health and human services and homeland security in the united states says that more than 25 million people are victims of trafficking right now in our world today and the majority of them are women and children for sexual exploitation inside the US the figures range from 100,000 to 300,000 at any given moment and most of them are kids again girls and that too black or native american what are some of the key indicators that someone may be a victim some of the signs to watch out to spot the signs of human trafficking are the child may have no control over their movements that is of course you know they always have to seek permission to go out they inarticulate they mumble they may not have documents they may have bruises and scars on their body they have flashes of anger uh they may be very sexualized beyond their age uh some of them uh, may not be able to express themselves clearly they're mumbling and fumbling and you know they are living in fear so these are some of the signs to know that a child is being controlled or used unfairly so if this behavior is intergenerational in some societies and it's almost accepted how do we go about breaking this problem The first way to combat human trafficking is by knowing and accepting that it exists right around us and it can be in the street corner where a girl is shivering 
in the cold and you know with a painted face and a smile on her face knowing that you know her smile is fake and knowing that she might want other choices rather than standing and shivering so we have to first of all accept it's in our midst it's not in the third world but it's right here in the united states second thing is you know if uh, we notice any signs of trafficking which i've already talked about there are hotlines there are na- there's a national trafficking hotline and it's on my website again at ruchiragupta.com also on the book website ikcanfly.com and so kids can just um, you know call in there either if they feel they are at risk or need help or on behalf of somebody else um the other thing that we can do about it is volunteer in a local organization luckily for us all across america in every state now there are organizations um who take volunteers and uh, you can help with victims uh, of trafficking the other thing we can do is learn about it and educate others about it so that others too know it's an issue that needs to be tackled and we don't you know make invisible a large issue in plain sight just because we are scared to tackle it and then of course you know we have to provide services as a government as a country we have to reach out to provide services to the most marginalized the most at risk to trafficking at risk youth right so food clothing shelter also access to legal protection and communities and this can be done in thousands of ways you know through girls and boys clubs but also local youth organizations we can equip schools uh with books like i kick and i fly so that we can generate a conversation around human trafficking and teach our kids what are the signs how do you combat it uh uh you know because parents and teachers are very uncomfortable talking to kids about this subject even though it exists right and so i think my book can become a very very useful tool and that too in an interesting and fast paced way it's luckily for me scholastic has created a readers guide to go with the book and i've created lots of student resources and calls to action and things to do learn educate and act on my website in the book's website um so you know there are many many ways to combat trafficking but it really can be done you're right there are four essential rights that people have we're human beings and those are legal protection education dignified livelihood safe housing and it's hard to believe that in today's day and age so many people are not living with those rights exactly it's really hard to believe because you know we we can afford to make sure that every single person in our world in our city in our community has access to basic needs right food right. clothing shelter and protection because basic needs are really human rights to me because i feel that uh, you know once you have that then at least you can start thinking about leading your best possible life if you don't even have that how can you do anything else like can i say shows how hira the character in my book um, you know she is about to be sold into prostitution she's 14 years old she's from a nomadic tribe which is extremely marginalized there's no food at home she's expelled from school because she beats up the class bully who bullies her because he she is from a red light area and then you know she doesn't know where her next food is coming from her dad is an alcoholic he wants to sell her into prostitution her mother is breaking stones on the highway to feed the family 
and you know she knows that her days are numbered till a woman's right advocate enrolls her in a kung fu program and through the practice of kung fu she discovers the power of her body and learns to fight for it and when she wins a gold medal it triggers a change in the whole community because they see themselves in the pride of hira the mm-hmm. possibility of hira and they all organize and fight and hira can stay in school she goes back to school and you know change begins and i think you know that's why kung fu um but also how does change begins it begins with her practicing kung fu but it also begins behind the scenes with her getting access to food again to her mother building a mud hut again which does not have a leaking roof so they are safe there to uh, a women's right advocate who has an ngo which makes sure that policemen protect these girls and these communities to finding teachers who uh, don't uh, let class bullies uh, exist or get away with bullying so we need a whole ecosystem you know we say often it takes a village mm-hmm. and i think for everything it takes a village and that i kick and i fly is about a village a community coming together women's collective action and a girl who has courage and all this all these qualities are something which we all have and right. we can do it. Oh, Chair, would you share a story with us about one of the women that you may have worked with who has overcome this in her life? There are so many of them, you know, and I have so many of them who are my favorites that it's hard, but I will talk about one person. Her name is Meena, and uh, she has three daughters and a son. She was kidnapped when she was 9 years old and sold into a brothel in Bihar in India. she uh was forced to have two children inside that brothel and uh, finally you know she jumped off the roof and ran away but she had to leave her kids behind and that's when she found out about apni aap and joined us and said i want to get my daughters out and uh, she had in the meantime had two more children in the red light area where apni aap were So we went with her and got her kids out with the help of police who were extremely reluctant to get her kids out and we enrolled all of them into the Apneap community center so they all the four kids and the mother became members of Apneap and we slowly educated the children got them into our hostel we started made them join karate programs to learn martial arts so they would feel confident and like their bodies again we got meena to um, you know become a survivor leader in our community she would go door to door you know asking other women to join asking them to send their children to school she was often threatened and told we'll kill you you know you're trying to change the status quo in the community but she persisted because she had seen what it did for her daughter and today she is literate she's educated she studied in the apne aap azad literacy classes she's a teacher in our community center two of her daughters are graduates and have jobs uh, one is also teaching karate in a local school she's a karate teacher also she had won a gold medal uh you know in a long time ago in the apne aap um, school and uh, her eldest daughter the one who was born in a brothel is married also and has a son who is in school and meena has moved out of the red light area we helped her find a plot of land through government entitlements for um, marginalized communities 
and uh, you know she has her own house with doors and windows and you know everything is turned around and mm-hmm. the red light area itself where meena works today when we began working there there were 72 brothels and today there are only two brothels the traffickers are in jail meena even testified against the traffickers and put them in jail for life and again with the help of apne aap's legal team it was all such a battle and so scary when we were doing it because that time we didn't know we would succeed mm-hmm. we were just taking on these forces bigger than ourselves with cut butcher do you see that word is starting to travel to the women that there is hope yes because meera meena and uh, you know meera di is also based on a real person in apne aap mm-hmm. but meena and her daughters uh, are not the only ones right so when they began to fight it out and win then another woman came to me and she said i want to get my daughter into school can you help me a third woman said i want to adult, uh, attend the adult literacy class and she would sneak into the meetings and then we would organize the women in circles and they would share their stories with each other and they would say oh my story is just like hers and suddenly you know there was a bonding and then uh, you know one thing led to another and today you know the the main two trafficking overlords who i describe in i kick and i fly ravi lala and gainul both the houses are abandoned and it's the women who are taking over the mud huts and turning them into real homes yeah. really happened you know so i just think that a community can come together and one person's courage can make everyone courageous what can our listeners do to help First of all all the listeners I want you to go out and buy I kick and I fly read it and then share it with a young person you know so that they can also enjoy the book turn the pages fast and then find inspiration hope courage in it because it's a book based on hope it's a girl who triumphs over adversity and I want to get this book into as many young hands as possible that is why I wrote it because i'm trying to pass on the baton of my activism to the next generation right in our lifetime we can create a world in which no child is bought or sold and then if kids want to join the movement and want to do even more they can go to my website ruchiragupta.com i have a call to action i have resources to learn educate share and uh, i also if they want to volunteer and donate to my ngo they can go to my ngo website apneaap.org and of course i the website of the book itself i kick and i fly.com also has all these uh, links and resources you know so there are many many ways you can help yeah. volunteer donate learn educate share and you know sure while, while we're talking about human trafficking like you said your book is about hope so it really is a relevant book for whatever any person is going through it offers hope and empowerment so it it's a wonderful message to share thank you that's exactly it and i think we need to share this hope because you know very often the message is that this can't work that can't work but that's not true we have to act we have to act to know whether it's going to work or not and not get daunted by adversity and as a lifelong activist this is one lesson i can share with all the listeners who are listening into us today that you know when you do something it doesn't matter if it's big or small you have to do it as if it matters and only time will tell and i have re- discovered this in my own lifetime this was told to me by gloria steinem and now i'm sharing it with all of you because then gloria told me i thought yeah yeah sure you know god knows 
and now 20 years later i really have made this transformation in an entire community and i never thought i could do it but i did it because i felt i needed to do it each one of us has the power to change a life and rochera i am so happy that you have spent this time with us. You are an angel on earth and you are doing such important work and you've changed so many lives and it's been a privilege to speak with you and to get to meet you. So thank you for being here. Thank you for having me on your show. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Do you feel lost on your journey to health and happiness? Then let us guide you on your path, personalized actions towards health. Your path is a series of choices you act on every day. We guide you on a personalized journey of dietary, exercise, genetic, supplement, and lifestyle choices that lead you to optimal health and happiness. Often taking the road less traveled leads to liberation. Your path is personal. Your journey, like you, is unique. Take action today. Head to bestpathforme.com. Again, that's bestpathforme.com. An invitation to appear on a radio show or podcast provides you with the opportunity to showcase your knowledge while promoting yourself, your products, and your business. It can elevate you as an expert, boosting your reputation, but only if you make a good impression. If you want to stand out as a great guest who is remembered, celebrated, and gets invited back, you need to give the host and listeners what they want while communicating with confidence and charisma. Contrary to the old adage, not all publicity is good publicity. Some can cause more harm than good. Hi, this is Joan Herman. As a public relations specialist, producer, and radio host who has conducted thousands of interviews, I have experienced all kinds of conversations. Some are great and leave the audience wanting more, while others are uninteresting, significantly diminishing the guest's appearance. After years on air, I can tell within minutes if a conversation will be stimulating, with listeners staying tuned in, or not. Being prepared with a compelling message makes all the difference. In my training program, It's Your Time to Shine, tips to be a successful sought-after radio and podcast guest, I provide valuable information that will empower you to make the most of any media appearance. You work hard to get the booking, so don't waste the opportunity because of a lack of skills or preparation. To learn more, visit my website, joanherman.com slash media training. That's joanherman.com slash media training. Welcome back to Conversations with Joan. Joining us for this week's To Your Health is Adrian Mariano, the Senior Director of Behavioral Health Services at Bergen Newbridge Medical Center. Adrian is here today to discuss eating disorders. Welcome, Adrian. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Joan. So, Adrian, we hear a lot about eating disorders, but many people may not be familiar with what they actually encompass. So, what are the most common eating disorders? So the most common eating disorders are anorexia, bulimia, and binge eating disorder. There's a few other of them that are not in what we call the DSM-5. The DSM-5 is the the Diagnostic Statistical Manual. This is what physicians and doctors use to diagnose people. It really helps us categorize and help treat and assess people that we're working with. So anorexia is one of the most common. It's characterized by weight loss, difficulties maintaining appropriate weight, and a distorted body image. Bulimia is also something that is um, prominent when we're working with eating disorders, and that's really someone who's using binging and what we call uh, compensatory behavior. So they might be using vomiting to really compensate for the effects of binge eating. 
binge eating disorder is actually the most common of all of them. It's one of the most uh, one of the eating disorders that was newly added to the DSM-5. So they're not using the self-induced vomiting. They're just binging and then experiencing shame and guilt because they're eating to the point of discomfort. Who is most at risk for these disorders that you just described? So the people that are most at risk for eating disorders are young women. Um, That's kind of the typical people that we do see, but it is kind of more than that. So we really see through evidence um, social media really plays a part in this. Um, you're being constantly bombarded with different images that are not the traditional body image that you're seeing. There's a lot of harmful images that are being portrayed on social media. Also, people that have a parent that might be dealing with an eating disorder themselves or also exhibiting uh, disordered eating in some way. Um, we also see the LGBTQ community really struggling with eating disorders, the transgender individuals, they experience eating disorders at a significantly higher rate than cisgender individuals. Also gay men, um, they actually represent only 5% of the total male population, but among men who have eating disorders, 42% of them identify as gay. You just described a, a number of things that could lead to an eating disorder. Is it also not so much about body image, but is it more about control? Like this is the one thing a person can control in their life? Exactly. So it's the control. So they might be experiencing depression or anxiety, and these are ways to really compensate for those feelings. They might be numbing themselves out by using these types of defense mechanisms to deal with what their mental health is struggling with. So if if a major root cause could be wanting to be in control of something. How do you go about treating this? So there's different levels of treatment, and it really depends on where they're at in their their disorder. Some people might need inpatient or residential treatment. These are patients that we typically see that have unstable vital signs. They're really progressed to the point where they can't be in the community any longer, and they need to have their health maintained at a proper level. So they won't be able to do a traditional outpatient program. And that really brings me into the next type of level of care. So if they have completed an inpatient or residential treatment, they might be dropped down and their discharge plan might be partial or intensive outpatient treatment, which really means they've been stabilized. Um, They're still working with a lot of symptomology. Um, They might be still having the binging. They might be having the restricting but they can be really maintained in this level of treatment. For a partial level of care, you might be only going five days a week, so Monday through Friday, and an intensive outpatient treatment is really even a lower level of care. They still need treatment, but they're doing pretty well, so they might be only going three days a week. What are the signs and symptoms? When should a loved one become concerned? So that's a great question. So some signs and symptoms really manifest in different ways. So they might be emotional or behavioral, and sometimes you might see physical symptoms. So it's important to be on the lookout for all of these things. 
So emotionally and behaviorally. So if you see somebody or you have a loved one that you see has a preoccupation with weight, food, calories, if they are having too much carbs for the day or fat grams or talking about dieting a lot, that's something to be on the lookout for. Also a refusal to eat certain food groups and progressing to restrictions of whole categories of food. So I'm not eating carbs today. I'm not eating any sugar or anything. Also appearing uncomfortable eating around others. You might see them also withdraw from friends and family and some extreme mood swings. Physically, you might see noticeable noticeable changes in weight. So they might be going from extremely heavy to extremely thin and back and forth. You might also have them describe stomach cramps or some GI issues. Um, In women, also menstrual irregularities, difficulty concentrating. Um, You might also see them faint, have sleep problems, feeling cold all the time. Um, For those who binge and purge, you might also see cuts and calluses across the top of the finger joints and swelling along the the salivary glands and also fine hair on the body that you see typically in newborn babies because they're losing uh, nutrients within the body because of the purging. Adrian, can you provide some resources where people can get help? Absolutely. So one of the best resources is to go on the National Eating Disorders Association website, or called NIDA. They provide a wealth of information about eating disorders, treatment, risk factors, any signs and symptoms. They also provide a search engine for providers specializing in treatment for eating disorders and also provides assistance when negotiating with your insurance company and help with appeals if treatment is denied. If you would like to learn more about this topic or Newbridge, you can visit newbridgehealth.org. Adrian, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. You've put your heart and soul into writing a book. So how do you reach your potential readers? Introducing the Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life book club, created for books that change lives. A book featured gets recognized. For more information, visit cyacyl.com slash book club. From the studios of AM 970, The Answer, on Broadway and Wall Street in Manhattan, this is WNYM, Hackensack, New Jersey, New York City. to Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for staying with us. When most people say menopause, they mean more than just the end of female reproductive functions. Menopause to many means the beginning of an array of physical and emotional issues leading women to dread that time of life. Joining us today to offer a different perspective on menopause is Michelle Wispoway and Kristen Mallon, co-founders of Femgevity, a digital telemedicine company that offers women access to personalized care that addresses their evolving menopause symptoms. Welcome, Michelle and Kristen. Thank you so much for joining us. Hi, Joan. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. So, Kristen, let's begin with you. What happens in a woman's body during menopause? Well, menopause is really just one day, medically speaking. It's really just the day that you've gone for 12 months without having a menstrual cycle. And perimenopause is really the years leading to that point. And then postmenopause is the time after that. So there's a lot of different things that are going on in women really starting around the late 30s. Their progesterone starts to go down. Their DHEAS starts to go down. Their AMH level starts to decrease. Follicular count starts to decrease. 
And they kind of have this very kind of slow decline, similar to what men experience when they lose testosterone over decades with those hormones. When they get to the year before they have no period, this is when we can really see erratic changes in estrogen specifically up and down and pretty significant changes. And this is when most of the symptoms will start to occur. And women will actually lose most of their estrogen and go down to 1% of the estrogen that they had in the perimenopausal time during menopause. And Kristen, what are some of those symptoms that you just mentioned? So somebody classified menopausal symptoms as over 100 symptoms, pretty much no systems. So we have, we have 12 systems in medicine. Um, you know, we have the skin system, kidneys, liver, lung, heart, and it pretty much affects every single system. So the, the most classic symptom that women associate with menopause is usually vasomotor symptoms or those hot flashes. But more and more, we're starting now to see women have mood changes, irritability, insomnia is a really big one. Night sweats before the hot flashes come about is a pretty big one. Lots of skin changes, sexual changes, libido changes. Hair loss is another really big one. So the symptoms are just plentiful and um, pretty much no system is, is without some sort of symptom. Michelle, you say that menopause is not one size fits all, but unfortunately, most doctors treat it that way. How should we be approaching this time in our lives? Great question. So really, this summer lives, it you need to get down on a diagnostic level to really see everyone has different levels. Their, their TSH, their progesterone, their estrogen, their DHEA, their cortisol. So you can't just give everyone the same estrogen patch. Everyone has a different DNA makeup. They metabolize things differently. Some women may need supplements. Some women may need absolutely nothing at all. So that's why at Femgevity, we've brought everything down to a concierge medical approach. So everyone has a personalized treatment plan. Everyone, there's no one size fits all for every single woman because everyone has different symptoms and a combination of how they're feeling. Kristen, what types of tests should a woman have during this time? So definitely, I love to get baseline hormone testing on every single woman in their late 30s. A lot of times, we don't always have that opportunity. So sometimes we're only really seeing women when they're symptomatic, which is kind of towards the middle to end of the menopausal period, so to speak. But definitely 100% a hormone, a full complementary hormone panel, along with general annual blood work that's done when you go to your regular doctor, Um, you know, like hemoglobin A1C, homocysteine level, CRP, CBC, chemistry, these types of things. We at Femgevity, we do offer precision medicine testing, and this is really helpful testing that, you know, isn't for everyone because of the additional cost. A lot of times it's not covered by insurance, but our precision medicine testing includes micronutrient testing, oxidative stress, omega acids, fatty acids, essential um, amino acids. We also do allergy testing, gut microbiome testing, and genomic testing, all with the AI-powered technology. Menopause is a time that many women really dread. We've been trained to dread this throughout our lives. But Michelle, some cultures view menopause as a second spring. They believe that it's a special time in a woman's life. Would you agree with that? And if yes, why? Yes, I do. Menopause is actually a rebirth. Um, It's you know, you could redefine your aging and your timeline and your lifespan during this stage in your life. You know, in your 20s, it's one stage where you're young and kind of, you know, you, your body doesn't really have any limitations. Um, 30s is really where their marriage happens and you're preparing for childbirth and 40 as your children grow. And 
as you're really devoting yourself and all your time and energy to your family and bringing your kids everywhere and your health a little lacks a little bit behind and that's really when you start entering into these stages and you and you feel differently and you think maybe it's just from running around or because I'm getting older and it's it's really not. You know, I was um actually reading an article this past weekend where it was talking about you could have the best sex of your life starting in your fifties. Right. So mm-hmm. and, and women forget that you could feel your best and feel like you were the way you did in your twenties and you know, your your body can, can bounce back because your your body depletes of hormones and you need to bring them back in. And that's just a rebirth of, of your body and your health and you focusing on yourself. Michelle, tell us a little bit more about Femgevity. Why did you start this company and what do you hope to achieve? So Kristen and I founded Femgevity because we've both been in, you know, Kristen's been a practitioner and I've been in the clinical diagnostic lab side um, my entire career. And we we both have seen this huge gap in women's health care. And we wanted to create a value. And the only way to really make a difference in women's health care is disruption, Um, disruption based on how women are being provided care, what they're being offered, and how they're being offered it in an innovative way. You know, we offer this hormone balancing through menopause management, and in that will be a natural organic cycle into our feminine longevity. So I have a personal history, too, with my mom that she passed away at the age of 51, where she actually thought some of her bleeding and spotting was due to menopause symptoms because that's what, you know, one of the things that women are, are trained and the lack of education and what doctors say. And, you know, it really inspired to create a legacy moving forward of women to be educated and have a community based on what is normal and what's not on our body and how we should go about changing it and, and feeling differently. And Kristen, what do you want women to know about menopause? So really the way a woman goes through menopause is going to affect her long-term longevity. And we can use lab diagnostic information, like Michelle said, to identify how to effectively balance a woman through menopause so that she can get the right treatments and the right support and the right supplements that are going to then end up prolonging her longevity from a cardiovascular, a neurodegenerative, and a metabolic disease perspective. That's really really, really important to Michelle and I that we're able to kind of get that message across that it's not just suffer through it. It's not just, well, let me just delay treatment for as long as possible because I don't want to go on hormones. Estrogen isn't a one-size-fits-all, and it's something that we really want to encourage women to get their hormones done, get baseline testing done, and seek treatment for this time in their life. And Kristen, what are a few things that a woman can do to help alleviate menopausal symptoms? So the number one thing that a woman can do is to get testing done because without, you know, I want to give you an example, a personal example. So I did a genomic insight. I did a diagnostic test on myself about uh, my DNA and turmeric and curcumin is actually harmful to me. It downregulates certain genes that I have. And so right now we kind of have all of this information and all these studies out there about adaptogens and about supplements, like what's good for you. But unless you really get down to that diagnostic level and you understand what's really going to be helpful for you, and then also 
using that diagnostic information, you can actually treat a woman less because you can use certain genes and certain certain epigenetics in her DNA that are going to enable her to kind of use the different aspects of her own personal biometrics to make her treatments more effective and more efficient. Michelle, do you think personalized medicine is the way of the future? 1,000%. I absolutely agree with that. Um, I feel medicine in, in the U.S is lacking and it's behind and it's dated and um, really the only way to catch up medicine with personalization is AI type genomic testing as Kristen just said with the epigenetics and the nutrigenomics and to get these treatment plans based on your DNA and what's going on with your gene expression. Kristen, if a woman wants to work with longevity, what is the process? That's a great question. So they go to our website at longevityhealth.com. And then right now we're offering a 10-minute free consult. So if they want to kind of just get that personalized care right off the bat, they're able to do that. If they know for sure they need help and they want to book a consultation right away, they're able to do that on our website too. The initial consultation is usually about 40 to 50 minutes long. We take a very comprehensive health history, including a family history. And then we're able to figure out what lab testing is best for that specific patient. And like I said, we offer a complementary range of laboratory testing, some covered by insurance, which is the basic stuff that you get in an annual visit, and also hormone testing. Most of that's covered by insurance. And then we have our other tests, which unfortunately at this time are not covered by insurance, but this lets us get really deep allergy testing, gut microbiome testing, genetic testing, and a micronutrient testing. And we kind of talk to the woman about what she wants for herself at that time. And, and sometimes it's like Rome wasn't built in a day. You know, we just start with the hormone balancing. And then, you know, six months later, we, we go into something else. And some women want to do everything all at once. And then once the labs come back, we have a follow-up appointment, usually one to two weeks later. And we give them the customized treatment plan based on their information, their symptoms, and their family history. And Kristen, while we're talking about menopause, is it a good idea for younger women to get a baseline of these tests? Absolutely, Joan. So I really recommend women getting a baseline of their hormones, at at least in their 30s. If they can in their 20s, that's even better because they're going to know how they feel when we have those hormone values. So then we can kind of compare and contrast when they when their feelings start to change. Okay, well, when you were 31, we had these hormones tested and these are the levels that you were feeling good at the time. So we know we kind of want to match up to where they were feeling good at the time. And, and specifically with longevity medicine testing and precision medicine testing, you know, optimal health can start at any age. The question of how do I optimize my health really can start at any age. And Michelle, where can our listeners go to get more information about Femgevity and your work? They can go to our website, femgevityhealth.com. They could go to our LinkedIn page, um, our social media. Uh, there are a lot of videos up that we just post on just information about the testing and hormones and cancer risks and things like that. And we also have live chats on our website, and um, Kristen and I are very accessible as our medical team and our advisors. And once again, that website is femgevityhealth.com. Michelle and Kristen, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Joan. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. 
Here's an eye-opening fact. Did you know there's actually one single word responsible for keeping us from many of our biggest goals and dreams in life? Hi, I'm Linda with Linda Mitchell Coaching and Healing, and I'd like you to really think about that. What one word can be so profoundly impactful that it can keep you from much of what you want in your life? That word, it's fear. Take a moment and let yourself really think about that. Ask yourself these questions. What do I really want in life? And what's stopping me? Almost always, we don't take action because we're afraid of something. So right now, I invite you to think of a situation that you would really like to bring about. It could be a career change, the beginning or ending of a relationship, the expansion of your business, moving or embarking on a totally new experience. It could be just about anything. Now, ask yourself, Why haven't I done it yet? What's holding me back? And here's the best question yet. What would I do if I wasn't afraid? Helping my clients move past this normal but paralyzing fear is the very first step in truly defining and claiming what you really want in life. The sign in my office I see daily says everything we want is on the other side of fear. So true. Want to learn how to move past your fear and start creating the life you really want? Connect with me at lindamitchellcoachingandhealing.com. Do you have thoughts that keep looping in your mind? Do you have trouble letting go of past events? If this sounds like you, then hypnosis can be the answer to help you to let go. Hi, I'm Mary Battaglia, a certified clinical hypnosis practitioner at Metro Hypnosis Center. Thoughts can keep us stuck and in a path and prevent us from moving forward. Negative or looping thoughts can overpower the mind and be consuming. When we focus on the past and have constant thoughts in our mind, then we are not present and able to enjoy the moment that we are in. So it's important to learn to clear the mind. So if you have that thought, then delete the thought or see the thought coming out of the mind and leaving. Create a new positive thought right away to replace it. Keep applying this technique when a negative or constant thought tries to come back. The more you do this, the easier it is to take back the control. This is one of many techniques that's used in hypnosis to clear the mind. I'm Mary Battaglia. For more information on hypnosis, go to MetroHypnosisCenter.com. When you're having a conversation in relationship and it's somewhat controversial, you probably want to be heard and be right. Quite often, that's what we want. And so we're maybe a little defensive, but is that right? Or do we want a result? The result being we'd like to get along. Hi, I'm Lindsay Levinson, Quality for Life Coaching. And they are two different things, getting along versus being heard and being right. See, because being heard and right is our defense, then that connects to our ego. But ego's not really going to get you that far. If you want a result, then you're going to want to work with humility and truth. So if you've got a difference of opinion, I mean, for me, I'll quickly look for a reason to say I'm sorry. And it has to be true. If I don't know what I've done yet, then I will say, I'm sorry you're hurting. I've done something wrong here because you're hurting. But let's talk further so we can figure this out. And you don't want to talk at someone by saying you this and you that because people just shut their ears. You want to use words like we and use words like experience. I'm having this experience. I know your experience is different. There isn't a right or wrong. There's just different experiences going on here. So we just need to talk it through and land somewhere that feels really good for both of us. So you want to do a lot of that non-heated conversation so that you can both 
feel good, but nobody is charging at another person. It's not being heard and right. It's just working toward the positive result. Lindsay Levinson, qualityforlifecoaching.com. Look me up. I'd love to talk to you, help you in any way I might be able to. Do you see the value in what you have? I recently made a virtual presentation to a group, and after I was done presenting, we had a discussion about interpersonal relationships. During our conversation, many people expressed concern about how easily they are being replaced. They felt like there was no value given to them and or a relationship by a friend, partner, family member, or employer. Hearing so many people express the same feeling made me start to wonder if we have become a society of disposables. It reminded me of an expression my mother used to say, out with the old and in with the new. This is Joan Herman here with a lesson learned while earning my PhD in life. It's time to see the value in what you have. It seems like just about every aspect of our life today is disposable. We throw away televisions, computers, clothing, phones, food, furniture, and so much more. By contrast, when I was growing up, we fixed everything. There was a neighborhood television repairman. We ate leftovers for dinner. We took our shoes to the local shoemaker for new heels. Baby diapers were cloth, and appliances were kept until they could no longer be repaired. We drove the same car until it died on the road, and marriages lasted until death do us part. While it is true that we have more conveniences and opportunities than our parents and grandparents, I believe our ancestors had something that many of us lack the ability to attach to and appreciate what they had. Today, we want immediate gratification. If it's broken, an old model, or not working the way we want, we simply throw it out and replace it with something new, something shiny and upgraded. Is it possible that we are carrying our new disposable mentality into our relationships? How many people do you know that cut off contact with someone with whom they had a disagreement? They end the relationship and find someone new to fill the void. How many marriages suffer from infidelity because of boredom or not having a particular need met? One spouse moves on to someone new and creates a new family, often breaking ties with their old partner and even their children. How many employers replace or demote an employee for a minor infraction without giving that person a second chance? They hire a replacement. If any of these scenarios sound familiar to you, and I know they do to me, Perhaps it's time to examine how we interact with others. Are we looking for a quick fix? Would we be willing to cut someone out of our life because we are angry? Are we considering replacing a spouse or have already done so before exploring every avenue to repair the relationship? Would we fire an employee without giving it a second thought? If you believe you may have adopted a disposable mentality, Now's the time to make a change. Start nurturing your relationships. Put in the time and do the necessary work. Nothing worth having comes easily. Appreciate and value what you have, material items and relationships, and stop keeping an open eye looking for something better. Empathize with others before taking action. Repair something before tossing it in the trash. If you feel like someone who has been replaced, remember, we can't change or control other people and how they behave, but we can change our behavior. We can change the way we respond and the way we treat others. And little by little, perhaps, our treatment of others may just start a movement in a more positive direction. Who knows? One day, we may learn to treasure the old and forget the new. Thank you for spending this time with me. For more inspiring tips, visit joanherman.com. Thank you 
for joining us. I hope you found the show informative. At Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life, we believe that knowledge is power. Take what you've learned, apply it, and live your best life now. Remember that the information provided is the opinion of our guest and should never replace the advice of a professional who knows your personal situation. If you'd like more information, visit our website, cyacyl.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on our site, listen to past shows on demand, read our digital articles, check out our team and book club, sign up for our mailing list, and be sure to follow us on social media. Until next time, this is Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. The preceding pre-recorded program sponsored by Maximilian Communications.